you won't make it out of life without the need to be forgiven and to forgive. You're, you're not going to make it out of life without having to be forgiven and to forgive. And forgiveness is a great thing. C.S. Lewis said, forgiveness is a beautiful word until you have something to forgive. This morning, we're going to talk about and look at forgiveness. And I'm going to, at the end, I'm going to call you to forgiveness. That's so what I want you to do before we look at this passage. Just know that, that we're going to talk about forgiveness and unforgiveness. And then as the message goes, at the end, we're going to call you to forgive. And for some of you, that may be very, very scary. Because when you think about forgiveness, it may seem like you're walking up to the end of this cliff. That if you go over the cliff, you know that there's a lot of pain involved with that. For you to deal with some of the stuff you have to deal with, for, for you to forgive some of the people you may have to forgive, as soon as you hear the word forgiveness, something in you uh, tightens up. So I want you to know that in advance. And we're going to look at forgiveness. P- forgiving people is painful. And it is costly. When I was in college, I wrestled on this club team at our, at our college for a couple of years. I never wrestled in high school, but I wrestled in college. And so I, I won some, and I lost some. So my first one, I'll start with a loss. It was, uh, it was not good. I went to our, our, our first or second meet, and I was all excited about learning some of the skills. And we got into the gym, and I started wrestling this guy. And my big goal was don't get pinned. I thought that was the ultimate thing in wrestling. And so I, I went the whole time. I was not going to get pinned. That was my goal. And so I wrestled, and I wrestled, and I got the first takedown. I had some friends there. At this, it was at this college um, in southern Wisconsin, and I had some friends who attended that college, and they knew I never wrestled in high school, so they came to watch me wrestle. So it all started out with me. In two seconds, I had take the takedown. They were like, wow. Uh, it was looking good for me, and that was it. I had five seconds of glory in this match, and the rest of the time, literally, I was face down on the mat, and the guy had my arm just up like this, wrenching it and wrenching it. And all the time, I was thinking, don't get pinned. You're not going to get pinned. And he just ripped on my arm and wrenched it and wrenched it the whole time. We'd get up, he'd slam me back down and wrench my arm. He'd get up, slam me back down and wrench my arm. I was not going to get pinned, and I didn't. And I lost 18 to 2. And I was in pain at the end. My arm hurt for a day and a half. This other wrestler from another college who I knew, who had wrestled all his life, came to me and said, Hey, Paul, you know, sometimes getting pinned is less embarrassing than losing by a lot of points. Get pinned next time. It hurt. It was unbelievably painful. A few minutes... was hours of pain. And a few minutes of offense of this guy ripping on my arm took a day and a half for my arm to start feeling better. And that's what it is when we think about forgiving people sometimes. The offense may have happened to you, or it may have only taken a few minutes, but it is unbelievably painful. When you think about what you may have to forgive, and for some of you, your unforgiveness has left you completely wrapped up, and you are chained, and you are pinned down with great pressure. This is what happens 
for us in forgiveness. It becomes this thing. For some of you, if I was to look at your, open you up right now, there was a few minutes in your life where somebody did something, or a few months in your life, or a few years in your life, somebody did something to you, and you have not let that thing go, and it is an unbelievable burden to you. And you are like wrapped up with a chain, and this is your life. And I think in our church, and our community, if we would deal with forgiveness, understand it, and address it, there would be a great freeing that would take place in our culture, in our lives, and in our area. This is some of our lives. You may feel, you know what, I'm not, I'm not easy. You feel like Job, or I'm not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Your conscience isn't clear, because you, you want to get through it. You want to get through the unforgiveness. You want to get through the hurt, but you just can't seem to do it. And this is your life, and you're carrying this weight around you, and you're constantly collecting things that are hurting you. And I have been there. And some of you heard for me some of the unforgiveness. I was angry at a brother, my own brother, for over a year and lived in unforgiveness. It's painful. And because we live in a broken and fallen world, we will be tempted to go back there. The temptation will be to say, I can't forgive. I can't do it. I can't. But the temptation is to say, well, it's easier said than done. It's easy to to say to forgive. I just can't do it. I I can't forgive them because they're going to get away with it if I forgive them. Or I can't forgive them because it's not fair that I'm the one that was hurt. I'm the one that's got the pain. I'm the one that's still struggling with it. That I'm the one that's supposed to forgive. It's not fair. Or it's just not right. And there are serious considerations that we must take when it comes to this idea of not forgiving or not dealing with forgiveness. Because these are, these are real offenses. I know that. There's real pain in some of your lives. There's real pain and has been pain in all of our lives. That we don't want to forgive sometimes. But there are some serious things we need to consider before we say, you know, I'm not going to do it. This is what Scripture just says, dealing with forgiveness. Mark 11.25 says, And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Ephesians 4.32 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And listen to Matthew 6. This is after Jesus was teaching unto prayer, on prayer. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. These verses about if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven are not just filler in the Bible. They mean something. 
We have to be people of forgiveness. There's, we need to take it very serious when we think, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to forgive them because I've been hurt really bad and it's painful. I don't want to go there. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to deal with it. Jesus says, but if, you don't, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. We have to take those words of Scripture very seriously and wave them very seriously. It's a very serious thing. It's a very damaging thing when people don't act and respond correctly to forgiveness. And we struggle. Even society in the last, the last decade, the last 13, 14 years, there's been more and more studies on forgiveness that there was never before. That, that so, Sociologists have realized that there's something to this forgiveness thing. There's something about it. And, and one psychologist says this. He says, I've observed in talking to people about forgiveness, I've been surprised at the resistance that some smart, sensitive people feel at this subject. That's psychologist Robert Karen. David Seaman says this when it comes to Christians who don't forgive. He says, many years ago, I was driven to the conclusion that the major cause of most emotional problems among evangelical Christians are these. The failure to understand receive, and live out God's unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace to other people. We read, we hear, and we believe a good theology of grace. But that's not the way we live. The good news of the gospel has not penetrated the level of our emotions. Psychologists and sociologists who don't even love Jesus know that if you hold on to unforgiveness, and offenses, it will affect you physically. You will, there will be physical responses to that. There's pain in some of your lives that is, might possibly be due to unforgiveness, and you're experiencing real physical pain because of it. You say, yeah, but it's, it's, it's so hard. It's hard because the list of offenses when it comes to how we can be offended and why we'd have to forgive. It's so huge. It's so large. There's all kinds of things that we have to deal with that are, may cause offenses in our world. I mean, there's, there's big box offenses, I think, and then there's little box offenses. Big box offenses, I mean, there's murderers out there. There's rapists out there. There's molesters out there. There's abusers out there. And we're supposed to forgive that? How do we do that? It's huge. And some of you may be in that box where you have big box offenses that have happened to you in your life. And you don't know how to deal with it. You've you struggled with it. You're still carrying the chains of that around you. And then there's maybe the st- smaller box offenses. that We have unkind relatives. We have a, a, an angry dad that we haven't dealt with. Or our, our mother, that we, our grandma and grandpa that said something to us when we were 11 we never let it go. Or you have close friends that have hurt you, and now they're your enemies. Or you have a coworker at work, or a teacher, or a class member, or a church member, or a neighbor, or some passing stranger did something to you and has caused an offense. And when you think of driving down that street, you remember that thing. You never let it go. Or maybe it's God that you can't forgive. Some of you, maybe yourself, 
you can't forgive. Who do we need to forgive? Who needs forgiveness? Our friends and our enemies. The Bible says need our forgiveness. And this is important because we don't want to be outwitted by Satan. 2 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11. There's a part where Paul says he forgave what the Corinthians forgave. He forgave that man because he didn't want to be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. Do you want to be outwitted by Satan? You want to be outsmarted by him even when you know his designs? Satan's design for you is to not live in forgiveness. We don't have to be outwitted by that. Here's what one guy did. He was sitting across from another fellow pastor and the guy said, listen, I don't get this whole forgiveness thing. He goes, 19 years ago, this guy stole my wife from me. They got married and they moved to Florida while my life unraveled. After I was arrested for assaulting a police officer, this, this guy smirked through the entire hearing. When I was convicted, he flipped me the finger. I've hated him for 19 years. He's coming up here next week. I have a 32 caliber pistol strapped around my ankle. And when I see him, I will kill him. I've thought all about it. I'm 63 years old. I'll get a life sentence, but also get free medical and dental and a warm bed and three meals a day. It's not a bad way to end my life. What do you say? Why forgive? This guy was highly offended. This is huge offense. This is unbelievably painful what happened to him? Why bother? Shouldn't he just go along with it? Why bother with forgiveness? You know, what's the limit of mark of pain that we should take before we say, you know, that's, I for, only can forgive you that much. But this is the mark. You've crossed it. I can't forgive you anymore. What's the mark? That was the question that Peter asked in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 25. Jesus says, says this. Then Peter came up, and Jesus had been talking about offenses and hurts and dealing with pain. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven? I mean, Peter thought he had smacked it out of the park here because three times for the Jews would have been a big deal. So he kind of already added to it and he thought, this is going to be good, I'll do it seven times. And Jesus says, no, 70 times 70. And then he says this, he gives them a parable, which is an imaginary story. It's an imaginary story designed to make a major point. And that's what Jesus is doing. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. And when the servant, when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have mercy with me, I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. 
When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is an outrageous account. Totally outrageous. Here's a guy who was in debt to this ruler. This is a fictitious story. And Jesus said this, the guy owed him thousands of dollars. If you were to multiply that in our day, this is Jesus saying this guy owes him trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. There's no way... This guy would have been able to pay back his debt. And so when Peter and these people and the disciples were hearing this, they would have been stunned. That all of a sudden, this guy who owns, owes trillions or zillions of dollars would have this other guy who he owes come up and just say, you know what? I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to let you off the hook. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? That's what happened to this. That doesn't happen, does it? This is an unbelievable debt this guy could never pay. His, he, could, he could be in prison forever. He would never be able to pay it. But the first thing we need to know about forgiveness, full forgiveness, is based in fantastic grace. When Peter came to Jesus and said, hey, how, how often should I forgive the person who's offended me? Three, three times is what we normally do, but I'll, I'll, I'll double that, and I'll do it seven times. Jesus said, no, 70 times 70. Let me tell you a story. Here's this guy, he, he, outrageously amount of debt. He could never pay it back. But the guy who he owed it to forgave him, wiped it absolutely clean. That is fantastic. I don't, there's not even a word to describe that. You owe me, or I owe you, zillions and zillions of dollars. That's what this amount would be. Impossible to pay back. And then you come back to me and say, hey, Paul, it's, it's all good. You're done. Fantastic. I don't know, what do you say when someone does that to you? It is unbelievable. This is the beginning of forgiveness. If you're not going to be able to forgive someone, until you fully understand that forgiveness is based in fantastic grace. This is God's view of forgiveness. The story at the beginning is God's view of forgiveness in this tale. This is what God has done for you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is what God has done for you. This story is you. You owed a debt you could not pay. You owe God an impossible debt you could never Work it off. You could never live your life so perfectly that God could, not, could just let it go. Somebody had to pay this debt, and God wiped it free. This is God's view of forgiveness. Forgiveness is this. Releasing the offense, refusing to punish, and allowing them to be blessed as if they never offended. That's what God did for us. He released us from our offense. He refused to punish us and he allows us to be blessed as if we never offended. That's full forgiveness. But before you say, well, that's, that's great, but my, my offense, my pain is deep. The thing that happened to me is 
hurtful and it's really hard. Let me just say what forgiveness is not. I think sometimes we think that it's just you can just wipe it all out. Forgiveness. And even in this, even in this story where this multi-billion, million, trillion dollar debt was wiped away, cost somebody something. Forgiveness is not denying the offense. It wasn't like this guy came up to the the ruler and said, hey, can I get off the hook? No, he was caught. He was, the guy said, you owe me a lot. So when you are, you say you have some offense, something happened to you in your life, and it's, it's really painful and difficult, forgiveness. And you say, I can't forgive. Because if I forgive, it's just like going to be denying that it ever happened. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not denying that it didn't happen. It's not giving it approval. It's not excusing it. It's not justifying what happened to you. Because whatever happened to you, whatever you're struggling with, probably is bad, probably was wrong. And forgiving that person isn't denying it. Even in this story, forgiving this man's debt didn't deny it, didn't, wasn't pretending it didn't happen, and wasn't forgetting about it. It was saying, you know what, you owe me zillions of dollars. And that's my money. I would like it back, but you can never pay me back. So instead of you paying for it, I'll pay for it. I'll take the hit. I'll take the expense. He, he doesn't have any more zillions of dollars that's gone. And he's saying, you know, I will take the blow for that. I, re- I know what happened. I, I'm not denying it didn't happen. I'm not going to pretend it didn't happen. And I, I'm not forgetting that it didn't happen. I'm just releasing you from it happening. I'm going to take the hit and not make you. That's forgiveness. So if you say, I can't forgive somebody because then it's like me denying or that I have to forget that it happened. And how can you forget? Forgiveness has nothing to do with forgetting. You will remember what happened to you. But it's releasing the offense. And it's refusing to punish. It's saying, you'll take the hit. You're not going to make them pay anymore. You'll take the hit for it. What forgiveness is? Forgiveness is not natural, is it? Forgiveness is absolutely supernatural. It's, it's a supernatural gift of grace. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. It is God's unbelievable supernatural act where he sent his son down to earth to live the life we could not live. He died on a cross, the most crucial, the most violent, the most painful way to die for your offense, for your wrongdoing. And he took it all innocently. He took it all. It wasn't just forgotten. It wasn't denied. It cost him his life. God said, I'm not going to make you take the offense. I'll take the offense. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll bear the brunt of it. I'll take the beatings and the hurt and all the pain. I'll feel every ounce of it. I'm going to release you from it. It's not natural. It's supernatural. So forgiveness is releasing the offense. It's, it's no longer talking about it. It's, it's saying, you know what? I'm going to forgive you. And in five years from now, when I'm hanging out with my friends and I bring your name up, I'm not going to say to them, yeah, I forgave that, by, that guy. And he, remember when he did that to me? You haven't released them yet. Forgiveness is releasing them with that knowledge. It's just, you're just going to let it go. 
You're not going to speak about it to people. You're not going to talk about it in such a way where you make yourself look good and that person's still just a little bit bad. God doesn't do that. He's released us and it's refusing to try to keep hurting them. It's refusing to try to keep punishing them. You say, aren't there consequences of something he did, something major to me? I'm just supposed to let it go? There, are, there is a difference between refusing to punish and the natural consequences of sin. If somebody murdered or abused or raped, there is, it is possible to have, give that person forgiveness and then still have to suffer the consequences. That's not punishment. That's just consequences of their actions. There's a difference. But it's releasing, it's refusing. And the big one, it's allowing them to be blessed. If you want to know if you've really forgiven somebody, then you pray that God would bless them as if they never hurt you before. A lot of say, well, I'm praying for that guy. Yeah, I'm praying that he will repent. I'm praying that he'll come back and recognize what he did to me. I'm praying for him. But that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is releasing them, refusing to bring it up, and praying for them that God would bless them even more than he blessed you. Ouch. Have you done that? Where you just release them and you just, that's what you, you ask God to bless you when you pray. You ask him for things. He doesn't hold that against you. And he's forgiven you. Full forgiveness is releasing, refusing, and then praying, allowing them to be blessed. That takes great grace. It's only possible though, it's only possible is if we realize what Jesus did for us and recognize the weight of our sin, the guilt that was on us, the guilt, the sin the offense that we had to God. And then we go to the cross and we say, wow, you're not holding my sin against me. I'm free. You're not going to bring it up 10 years from now. When I get to heaven, there might not, there may be going to be a slide that maybe you forgot or a sin you forgot to erase. God says, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to bring it up. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. Now forgive like I have forgiven you. Forgiveness without the cross is folly. But forgiveness because of the cross is foundational. You'll never be able to forgive as a believer until you recognize this is what Jesus did for me. He did that for me. I can do this for somebody else. But what happens when we don't focus on God's grace and we don't forgive? Well, full unforgiveness is based in blinding bitterness. Verses 28 through 21 says, this, this guy that was released of the zillion dollar debt, he was free. He leaves and goes find somebody that owed him for his coffee one morning and says to him, hey, jerk, remember that I bought you that coffee at Starbucks? You never pay me back. I want my money back now. This guy's been laid off for months. He's got no money. He's in debt. I can't pay it. And the guy says, that's it, you're going to jail. That's bitterness. Where does that come from? He, unforgiveness is based in absolute blinding bitterness. Bitterness is this, and, and evaluate your situation if you're struggling with unforgiveness. Bitterness is this. Bitterness is saying, I had something, and now I don't have it anymore. That can cause bitterness. Or I wanted something. And God didn't get it for me, or I didn't get it. Those things can cause 
bitterness. Rudy Tomjanovich, back in 1977, was having a very successful NBA career. Been to the NBA All-Star Game four times. He's playing the game. The Houston Rockets were doing great. This could have been their year. They were playing the L.A. Lakers on December 9th. And they started the second half. And Rudy looked up, and there started to be a scuffle in the middle of the court. Two guys were fighting. So he ran over there as fast as he can to defend his teammate. And as soon as he did, Kermit Washington reached back with his hand to punch, and it hit Rudy Tomjanovich right in the face. And he just dropped in pain. His nose was bleeding, and people said he broke his nose. The least of his problems at that moment was he broke his nose. It was such a violent punch by Kermit Washington into Rudy Tomjanovich's face that it fractured his skull, broke bones all over his face. His career eventually was done. He would never be the great success, the great NBA all-star that he was supposed to be. And someone asked him, did you ever forgive Kermit Washington? One moment, you're a superstar in the NBA. The next moment, you're laying in a hospital bed with a busted up face in a fight you didn't even, because of a fight you didn't even start. And Rudy Tomjanovich said, someone once told me that hating Kermit would be like taking poison and hoping someone else would die. So I always tried to remember that, and I have not developed bitterness because of it. What happens when you develop blinding bitterness? Some of you have been there. I've been there. Here's what happens when we don't forgive, and we allow roots of bitterness to grow up. There is physical problems that happen for people who are bitter. I was working in a, in a retirement home, and there was a lady that was walking up in the halls, and she was mean and just nasty and angry. Everybody would warn me about her. And she, quite frankly, was the ugliest woman I have ever seen. And she was old. She was nasty. And one day I had to go work in her apartment and clean things up, work on her air conditioner. And I walk into this apartment. I was kind of a nervous, afraid to go in there. I wasn't sure what I was to expect. I get in there, and all... On the walls are pictures of her, I mean everywhere, and banners of beauty pageants that she had won years ago. And as life happened to her, and age, and things happened, she became angry that she got older, and angrier, and angrier, and all that beauty was gone. There are physical Problems that happen when you allow bitterness to grow up, grow in your life. Then there is a spiritual paralysis that takes place. You say, well, I'm still doing all these things. I'm sitting here at church. I'm even praying. I'm even, you know, I look good on the outside. I'm going to stay. I'll even help take down the chairs. I'll, I'll volunteer at food pantry. And all that time, you're just going through these motions. But you are so angry, so unforgiving, so bitter that you know deep down in your heart there's no joy anymore. The joy of the Lord is not theirs. You are just absent from joy. You're like a walking, just a zombie, joyless. And you know it, but you're trying so hard to pretend that everything's going to be okay and that you're just like you used to be. But it's just not there. It's spiritual paralysis. That's why when the Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit right after, that says, forgive. 
Because if you have grieved the Holy Spirit with unforgiveness, there is no joy. You are spiritually bankrupt. And you can try and try all you want, but you will be spiritually bankrupt if you allow bitterness to grow up. And you become, not only have physical problems, spiritual paralysis, you become Satan's plaything. You're just like this little toy now that he's just messing around with. He knows he's got you. And he's just like a cat with a little ball. He just knocks you around every once in a while. Watch you do this. And you just get angrier and bitter. And you're all floating around like a half-dead mouse. And Satan's just laughing and enjoying messing with you. Because you now are the guy that starts to get angry real easy. You know, you used to say, what's wrong with that guy? But now you're the guy or the girl or the woman that's getting angry quick. You're the one that is starting to attack people. This is what Satan wants to do. He wants to get us angry. He wants us to attack people. So you, now you're the one that's doing this. You're the one that's blaming everybody else for your problems. You're the one that looks at everything else when you come into church and say, that's not right, that's not right, that's not right. You never were that guy before. But you didn't forgive somebody. And you allowed bitterness to grow up into your heart. And now you're just Satan's playthings. He's just messing with you. So now all these things that Satan would be doing, attacking the church, attacking your family, attacking your friends, he's letting you do it for him. Being angry at anything good, starting to take on other forms. You were never this guy. That wasn't you before. Now it's you. That's what Satan does. He took on the form of a servant. He takes on other forms. Before you were this Jesus-loving, joyful, happy, excited about what God's doing person in your life. And now... You're not. You're depressed, you're angry, you're frustrated, you have no joy. You can't figure out what God's done. Where's God? It's the church's fault, it's my family's fault, it's my economy's fault, everything's bad. That's because it possibly it could have been a root of bitterness that has grown up. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 13 through 15 says this. Listen, and make straight paths for your feet. So that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. Are you bitter? Pray that the Holy Spirit would wake you up to the bitterness in your heart. It will destroy you. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, you will be destroyed if you do not weed out bitterness. And your life, full unforgiveness is based in blinding bitterness. And people are telling you about it. And they're saying they're walking up to you and they're saying, "Hey, you're not the same person you were before. You know, where's that spark?" And you're like, "What are you talking about? I'm the same person." But you're blinded to it. You can't see it. And there are people trying to tell you and help you and you're blocking them because you've put bitterness up because you have an offense that you haven't dealt with. Full forgiveness is expected. It is the expected response of Christ's followers. After Jesus tells the story of this zillion dollar debt that was paid, what was expected as you read that story, you would say, oh, cool. The guy that just lost just got freed from zillions of dollars, is going to let the guy off the hook for his extra Starbucks that he owes him. That's what's going to happen here, right? No, that's expected. Christ's followers, we as Christians, we are expected to forgive. But that's not what took place 
in the story. C.S. Lewis said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable. Because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. Full forgiveness is expected. This is what God wants from us. Full forgiveness. How do you forgive, though? Maybe you're bitter. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe there's an offense this whole time that you're trying to bury down in your minds, and I know I need to deal with it. Stop talking about forgiveness. I don't want to go there. It's too dark. It's too painful. It's too hurtful. I don't want to have to deal with it. I know that I should. I don't want to do it, though. How do, how do, you, how do you give forgiveness? Well, full forgiveness is a proclamation that begins a process. It is a proclamation that begins a process. Matthew 18 At the end there, it says, And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is what's going to happen. If you don't forgive, God can't and won't forgive you. And so forgiveness is not this long process where you have to say, You know what? I'll get to it, Paul. I'll get to it, God. Just let me do some baby steps first. Let me just maybe make some steps in this process. I'll, I'll stick my foot in the water, see how it goes, and then I'll decide if I'm going to forgive. That's not the way it works. It just actually works just the opposite way. Where you make this proclamation and you say, God, I see what you did for me in Jesus. I see what you did at the cross for me. And I, I accepted your forgiveness. I want to give forgiveness. I have no feelings right now for this. I can't, I can't feel a desire to forgive, but I choose by your grace, to forgive. And I proclaim that. Then the process begins. But you forgive first, and then the process begins. If you try to make it a process and then decide to forgive, it'll never happen. But you choose and say, I'm going to forgive that person, even if I don't have those feelings, because the feelings probably won't be there, because the pain is very deep. But you say, I'm going to choose to forgive. I'm going to proclaim that I forgive by God's grace. And I'm going to live that decision out through the process of restitution, reconciliation, the time it's going to take, whatever it may be. But you proclaim forgiveness. And then you remember that you forgave. It's a proclamation. You, You speak it out over sin and guilt. And then you say, well, I can't forgive myself in this situation. Well, then receive God's forgiveness. Receive it. You don't forgive yourself. You just receive the forgiveness that God has given you. It's a proclamation. You recognize those who hurt you. You say, I'm not sure if I've forgiven people. Well, sit down and say, I'm going to proclaim forgiveness, but I need to recognize who it is that caused it. Where did this bitterness start in my life? Who was it that hurt me? You write it down, and then you forgive them, and you proclaim And you recognize those who hurt you. Forgiveness is not hiding or pretending. And then you make the conscious choice to forgive, no matter your initial feeling to it. No matter how you feel about it. You just, you do it. And then the process will begin. And then you remember that you forgave. When Satan comes and says, look at you, you're getting all angry, upset now. They really hurt you. You say, that's true. They did hurt me. And I'm getting a little upset. But you know what, Satan? I forgave them. And it's covered by the blood of Jesus. Now leave me alone. And you begin the process of forgiveness. Full forgiveness is also a present call. Somebody today needs to forgive somebody. 
Jesus was telling Peter, So also my heavenly Father will, not, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This story isn't just for Peter. This is for us. This is for you. In a moment, we're going to gather together and hold the cup. We're going to hold bread. And we're going to remember that Jesus literally shed his blood for us. We're going to remember that his body was literally broken and crushed for us. And we're going to thank him for that. And God says, don't come take this if you haven't forgiven. And forgive. Make the choice to, to forgive today. Do you need to forgive somebody? Do you need to release them? Refuse to punish them? Pray for God's blessing on them as if they never hurt you? That's full forgiveness. And when you do that, when you fully forgive, I'm saying this not just because I believe what God says, but I've experienced it personally. When you do that, there is an unbelievable release of joy. There is peace that is unbelievably possible. Reconciliation that is unbelievably possible. And there is grace. You say, I'm a little afraid. Well, God's grace will carry you through that process. Freedom is found in full forgiveness. I encourage you to start this February setting the captive free. You are the prisoner of unforgiveness. God in Jesus Christ is the key. He is the giver of peace to those of you to us who will receive it and extend forgiveness. Forgive. Let's pray. Your